Now we enter a new section. Chapter 2, verse 26 through chapter 3, verse 11. These events are covered in Numbers 21, verses 21 through 35. And these are their battles with Sihon and Og. Then I sent messengers from Kedmoth Desert to King Sihon of Heshbon with an offer of peace. Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the roadways. I will not turn aside to the right or the left. Sell me food for cash so that I can eat and sell me um, water to drink. Just allow me to go through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me, until I cross the Jordan to the land of Yahweh our God is giving us. But King Sihon of Heshbon was unwilling to allow us to pass near because Yahweh our God had made him an obstinate and stubborn so that he might deliver him over to you this very day. Yahweh said to me, Look, I have already begun to give over Sihon and his land to you. Start right now to take the land as your possession. When Sihon and all the troops emerged to encounter us in battle at Jahaz, Yahweh our God delivered them over to us, and we struck them down along with his sons and everyone else. At that time we seized all the cities and put every one of them under divine judgment, including even the women and the children. We left no survivors. We kept only the livestock and the plunder from the cities for ourselves. From Aror, which is east of the edge of the Wadi, Aran, is the city Wadi. And all the way to Gilead, there was not a town able to resist us. Yahweh our God gave them all to us. However, you did not approach the land of the Ammonites, the Wadi Jabbok, and the cities of the hill country, or any place else forbidden by Yahweh our God. Now this is important because now we've come to now their own personal experience. Now he's been saying, remember their testimonies. Remember their story. Remember how God was faithful to them. Remember how he's faithful to punish them. Now he's saying, you, you experienced this. This is your testimony. Never forget this testimony. Remember this testimony. And this is important because he's not just interested in their personal experience, he's interested in the experience of other people as well as theirs. It is very important to surround ourselves with other people's testimonies as well as our own personal testimonies. That constant reminder reminds us who God is, and we're more likely to operate in that truth in our present circumstances. And so he says, I gave you the defeat. Nobody was able to resist you. Nobody was able to resist you. And we conquered them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Next we set on to the Harout of Bashan. But the king of Og of Bashan and his whole army came out to meet us in battle at Edri. And Yahweh, however, said to me, Don't be afraid of him, because I have already given him his whole army and his land to you. You will do to him exactly what you did to the king Sihon of the Ammonites, or Amorites, who live in Heshbon. So Yahweh our God indeed did indeed give over to us King Og of Bashan and his whole army, and we struck them down until not a single survivor was left. We captured all the cities at that time, and there was not a town that we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all in the region of Argob. Now remember, a city is more like a little teeny village to us. The dominion of Og and Bashan. All of these cities were fortified by high walls, gates, and locking bars, in addition, there were a great many open villages. We put all these cities, 
um, all of these under the divine judgment, just as we had done to King Sihon of Heshbon. Every occupied city, including the women and children, but all the livestock and plunder from the cities we kept for ourselves. So that time we took the land of the two Amorite kings in the Transjordan from Wadi Aran to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Siran, and the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the plateau, all of Gilead, and all of Bashan, as far as Salakah and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og of Bashan. Only king of Og of Bashan was left of the remaining Rephites. It is noteworthy that his sarcophagus was made of iron. Does it not indeed still remain a Rabbath of the Ammonites? It is thirteen and a half feet long and six feet wide according to the standard measure. Now this is important. Over and over again, he's been saying the Rephaites were tall. They were large, formidable enemies. But he gives three examples of his faithfulness. But I defeated the Rephaites that lived in the land of Edom, and they took the land. I defeated the Rephaites that lived in the land of Moab, and they took the land. I defeated the the Rephaites who lived in the land of the Ammonites, and they took the land. Giants mean nothing to me. They're formidable to you, but remember these battles were not detailed because they were not epic in numbers because the enemy was not formidable to Yahweh. So now he goes on and says, so then I give you three examples of how I was faithful to those people. Now I'm giving you two examples of how I was faithful to you, where you yourselves experienced defeating great enemies with great ease. So then he comes to Og And Moses has told you from his own mouth that there were giants in the land. And then he tells you, but remember, Og was the last of the Rephites, which means he was a giant. Now, how do we know that? Because he goes on and says the sarcophagus is 13 and a half feet long. Now, some of your translations might say bed, but that's not the best translation. Most scholars pretty much acknowledge that this is actually a sarcophagus because he says it's there to this day. And now that's not total proof, but nobody keeps beds around in the ancient world. And they didn't really sleep on beds like we did. Now, remember, in the ancient world, I briefly mentioned this last week, um, they basically gather your bones up and put you in a casket. That's how the Jews do it. But the other people, they kept your bones intact like we do, and they put you in a casket. So this is 13 and a half feet long, which means he's tall. And God says... Not only do you have examples of other people conquering these giants, but you saw a giant with your own eyes, and you easily defeated him. You easily defeated him. He has given them five testimonies of taking land from great enemies with great ease. Three of them belong to other people, and two of them in their own personal experience. And that's what God is trying to remind them because they are weeks away from entering into the actual promised land. And he's just given them five testimonies of how he's already been faithful to this. And even though they did not literally see with their own eyes the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites defeating their enemy, they did see the land that they now occupy. And they saw the evidence that there used to be Rephites there and now they're not there. So chapter 30, verses 12 through 22, this is covered in Numbers 32, this event. And this is the last event that he's going to detail in their history. 
This is the land we brought under our control at that time, the territory extending from Aror by the Wadi Aran and half of Gilead hill country and its cities. I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og. I gave half the tribe of Manasseh. Now, notice it's not Yahweh speaking right now. It's Moses. Moses saying, I gave it to them. I gave it to them. Because remember, God did not really approve of that. Verse 15, I gave Gilead to Machar, to the Reubenites and the Gadites, and I allocated the territory extending from Gilead as far as Wadi Aran. Um, the exact middle of the Wadi was the boundary. And all the way to the Wadi Wujabak, the Ammonite border, and the Arabah, and the Jordan River were also a border from the Sea of Cherneth, which is we know as the Sea of Galilee, to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Salt Sea, which we know as the Dead Sea, beneath the watershed of the Pig, Pishgah to the east. Now, here, this isn't God specifically allowing this to happen. But it is evidence that God did give them the land and they're able to settle in it. Even though Moses did not go to God and ask for permission for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of Manasseh to take the land, it is evidence that they, you, they, you can see right now they do have land that we conquer. And so it's not the best example that Moses could give, but it is an example of you are occupying right now at this point land that God has given you. Verse 18. At that time, I instructed you as follows. Yahweh your God has given you this land for your possession. Your warriors are to cross over before your fellow Israelites equipped for battle. But your wives, children, and livestock, of which I know you have many, may remain in the cities I have given you. You must fight until Yahweh gives you your countrymen victory, as he did you, and take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving them on the other side of the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his own territory that I have given you. I also commanded Joshua at the same time, You have seen everything that Yahweh your God did to these two kings. He will do the same to all the kingdoms where you are going. Do not be afraid of them, for Yahweh your God will personally fight for you. Now here's the crux of the matter. Now you are standing and you can see the land that God has given you. Remember how God was faithful to bring you through the wilderness. Remember how God was faithful to provide for you and carry you, protect you in the wilderness. Remember how he brought you to the promised land just like he promised. Remember that it was you who did not trust God. It was you who were not faithful. And then when he judged you, it was you who turned to behaviorism rather than loyalty and trust. And so remember that God was faithful to punish you just as he said he would. Then remember it was he who was faithful to bring you through the barren wilderness again. Remember it was he who was faithful to take care of you from your enemy and provide for you water and bread again. And remember it was he who brought you to the promised land again. Remember it was he who was faithful to Moab and Edom and the Ammonites to give them a land that you physically saw with your own eyes. Remember it was he who was faithful to conquer the two enemies of Sion and Og right before your own very eyes. And remember it is he who is allowing you to stand in this land right now and listen to me, Moses, talk as two and a half of your tribes already have a land. 
And now you're at that land because God is faithful. He is faithful to bless. He is faithful to punish. Now, this history is important because not only is this the call to obey him out of love, because, oh my gosh, this God has put up with all of that. This God has loved us so unconditionally for so long. This God has given us so much. I mean, if somebody gave you tons of money to help pay your bills, you would feel so indebted for them, to them. But this God has given them everything, victories and battles and food and water, provision and safety. How could you not respond in love? And so this is setting them up for going into the covenant stipulations where he says, this is why you obey. Because this God is so lovable. But he's also setting them up for the third speech where he's going to tell them that if you do this, then he'll bless you. And if you do this, then he'll curse you. And you're supposed to go back and remember that he was just as faithful to bring you into the promised land, but he was also just as faithful to punish your parents. And what he's doing, he's putting weight behind the next two speeches. The weight of the next speech is love him. He's worth it. Trust him. He'll be faithful. And the weight on the third speech is, and he's always faithful, no matter what, both in judgment and blessings. Moreover, verse 23, At that time I pleaded with Yahweh, O Yahweh God, you have begun to show me your greatness and strength. What God in heaven or earth can rival your work and your mighty deeds? Let me please cross over to see the good land on the other side of the Jordan River, this good hill country of Lebanon. But Yahweh was angry at me because of you. (laughs) There again. And you would not listen to me. Instead, he said to me, enough of that. Do not speak of it anymore. About this matter, go up to the top of the Pishgah and take a good look to the west and north and the south and the east. For you will be allowed, not be, you will not be allowed to cross the Jordan, commission Joshua, and encourage and strengthen him, because he will lead these people over and will enable them to inherit the land you will see. So we settle down in the valley opposite of Beth Par, which is across the Jordan. Now, Moses now speaks from his own personal experience and says, As much as I Beg God to let me enter the land and forgive me. He was faithful to his judgment. Listen, this is a Moses who can speak from personal experience on both sides. It's a lot easier to say, oh yeah, God's faithful to his judgment when you're talking about other people. But he says, God was faithful to his judgment to me. But on the other side, he's also saying, at the same time, God was so compassionate and so merciful he allowed me to see the land. I was able to see the land because that is enough for me. Here's what's so powerful about Moses' testimony. That even being brought to the land and seeing the land with my own eyes, that's enough to know that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. I really want to be in the land. I really want want to continue with you. But I don't need to be in the land to know that God is going to fulfill His promise and take you all there. Seeing it was enough for me to know that God is good. And that's powerful. 
That's powerful. And that speaks, because here we are today, and we've got tons of testimonies of what God has done in the Word, what He's done in each other's lives, and what He's done in ours. And we need to remember that history. We do not remember our history as we through our pictures and remember them as cause and events, cause and effect events that have happened in our life. We don't even need to remember them in just facts. Well, my kid was born in 2010, my other one is 2012, and we got married in 2004. We don't re- even that. We need to remember that history is not a closed thing. It's an open thing where God is transcendently involved in guiding and working our lives. And so I would challenge you with your children, with your grandchildren, with your friends, with the people in your neighborhood, that when you remember history, that it's not just facts, that it's not just cause and effect events and stories, but it is God actively involved throughout your history. That when you talk about the birth of your children, it is God is involved in it too. When you talk about moving into your neighborhood, God is involved in that too. And pray to see God. And if some of you came to God late in your life, then that's a powerful story. Let me tell you about my empty history because there was no God. And then now let me tell you about the history when God entered my life and how this I moved several times in my life. And the moves before God were different than the moves after God. Those are, that's your testimonies. And you need to see history as not a series of cause and effect or dates and events, but where God was actively involved in your life, guiding you and leading you and faithfully punishing you, faithfully blessing you, and always taking care of you, even at times when you didn't trust Him. That is the key to trusting Him now. Because the more you're reminding yourself, like, oh my gosh, that time when I had no money, I didn't know how we were going to make it, and somehow the bills got paid. And now you're in that such a situation right now. And you're very easy to get worried. It's very easy for you to not trust God. It's very easy to go to somebody and try to borrow money or something. I'm not saying you can't do that. But the more you've got those stories circulating in your head, then you're also going to think, I need to pray. And if God tells me to borrow money, I'll do it. If God tells me to do it, then I'll do it. If God tells me I need an extra job, I'll do it. But I have so, I'm constantly remembering and talking about to my kids and my grandchildren and the people in my neighborhood about how God has been so faithful to me that it's been so much a part of my life that now that I'm here now, I'm not forgetful. I'm not forgetful. And I'm more likely to trust. That's what Moses has been saying to the people. But on the other side, we have things that we have not yet inherited yet. Our salvation is not complete yet. Christ has not come back to take control of this planet yet. Some, we have, none of us have gone to heaven yet. None of us have experienced the fullness of the redemption of this planet. And for us, we are like a Moses. And there is a certain sense where we can say, yes, I can look at the cross though, and I can see how Christ did an incredible conquering event at the cross. And if he's able to conquer the grave, the greatest enemy that all of creation has ever produced, then in a way I am standing on the border of the promised land of the second coming of Christ. 
of the kingdom of God coming down to earth. And the promises that are in Revelation, the promises that are in Ephesians, the promises that are in Christ's mouth in the Gospels, that second coming, I can see those. And it is backed by an incredibly faithful God and his character both in the First Testament and the incarnation of his son through the cross. And even though it's still out there and I'm not there yet, it's enough just to see it. Metaphorically, theologically, whatever it is. And I know it's going to happen because in the same way that they know they'll take the land because of the defeat of the Rephites and Sihon and Og, we know that that kingdom of God is going to come because of the defeat of death on the cross. And so in some ways we are the people being called to remember, 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 remember. Please do not forget. Make testimonies a part of your Christian life, both personally and group. But at the same time, we're like Moses who's standing on the border of the great coming of God's kingdom. And is it enough for you to say, I can see it though? And, but unlike Moses, Peter tells us that nothing will keep you from inheriting that. Because Christ's covenant is unconditional, unlike the Mosaic, Mosaic covenant. And so even though we're not there yet, we will all enter that. And that's how Moses ends. This is the faithfulness of God. And we really do ourselves a disservice when we don't take the time to remember and we don't take the time to teach the children. And one of the things we're going to go into next week is that God's going to say, build a monument. And he says, and when your kids ask, why is that there? You tell them. Why? Because kids love asking questions. And they ask questions about everything in the house and everything that's happening and everything that you've ever said. And God says the more monuments, memorials that you build to God's faithfulness in the past, when you're tempted to forget about them or the pictures on your wall just become like a part of the wall because they've been there for so long, you're just used to them being there, you don't even notice them anymore. When your kids come along, they notice. And let their question asking not be annoying, but let it be the spark to remember again. And even though a lot of your children may be gone, you have grandchildren. And you have other children at church that you can bring over. And you can, we can build memorials in this church. And when you're leading children, do they see the memorials on the side of the wall or do they just see blank walls? And you tell them about those events. This is how you keep it. The question asking can be annoying, but it also can be a gift from God to keep you remembering. The question is, do you fill your house with the right things? Do you fill your church with the right things? the questions become a very powerful, significant story about God's faithfulness? Or do you fill your house with entertainment? Does this make sense?